On this glorious Mother's Day, we say Happy Mother's Day. And we are in uh, the book of Exodus. We are in chapter 33. And we're starting at verse 18. And we finish the rest of the chapter 323. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and read that whole section. This is after Moses has been told by the Lord that um, the Lord has found uh, Moses was found grace in the Lord's sight, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, "Please show me your glory." Then he said, "I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom." I have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Familiar passage. It's a one of my favorite passages in all the Bible because it's about pursuing God's glory. And I think as we look at the book of Exodus, we see a very gracious God, and every day we receive His grace. We just uh, open up our hands and and receive that, receive His grace every day. The the amount of grace that He has supplied us for the day. And he put that on display to the Israelites. And the thing is, is that they deserve to be totally wiped out. Should have been wiped off the face of the earth for what they had just done after all that God had done for them. Their great sin of idolatry had been done. God is a just God and He's a righteous God. And we know that... uh, he has the right to judge sin in however way that he will do, and it will always be perfect. Um, but he restrains his wrath uh, to this nation here. He shows his grace. And he did that after Moses interceded for the people. How great is intercession? I think uh, as we look at Moses interceding, we realize the great intercessor Christ. And then I think we take that in our own lives and see ourselves as priests and then interceding for our family, for people in our church, for the rest of the body of Christ all throughout the world, and then for the lost. Right? We intercede for all of them. We kind of learned that from Moses. Well, Moses pled for the people. Could have been kind of scary going before that great God and, and then pleading, please God, don't destroy them. If you destroy them, uh, or if you don't, Take them into the promised land with your presence, then strike me out, blot me out too. What a, a gracious and merciful type of man that Moses was. And so he actually saved the people, in a sense, as it says in Scripture, from a, a real devastating judgment that, that could have happened. And his intercession got God to go along with them in the desert right on into the promised land. 
for the rest of the journey, God's presence was going to be there. Whenever he said that he wasn't going to be, Moses kept pleading. And that's where we were at last week. And then we read that last verse from last week. And Moses found grace in God's sight. God is so gracious. Now the whole idea behind this exodus is the presence of God. That is one theme that we see interwoven constantly. Every passage that you look at, you'll see the presence of God is there. That's the reason that God wants to take the people out of their bondage, out into the desert, so they can worship Him and that He could be right in the midst of them. This is what this is all about. It's God's presence. And I know for our own lives, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? We want God's presence. We want more of God's presence. We want to know, you know, sometimes He doesn't seem like He's quite there with us. But He's always there. His presence is always there. This, this is what God wants to do with these people. He wants to be amongst them. He wants to be communing with them on a constant basis. Moses wanted this for them and he wanted it for himself too. And uh, that's a good thing. That's one thing you want for yourself, right? But you want to share it with others, this presence of God. He had one request after another, Moses did. Uh, He's learning to commune with God and he just asked some very bold things after he has pled for this nation who sinned terribly. Now he pleads for this great thing of show me your glory. I think that's the ultimate request. Show me your glory. God does. God does what Moses has asked all the way through here. And he's asking the things that God would want him to ask. That's why that's why he's getting, uh, getting answered. But it's a tough thing to do. You're wondering, is this the right thing to do? Moses, what are you saying? Well, you look at verse 18. Now I've got this underlined. I've got the whole verse circled. And then I've got glory circled big. You know? <laughs> I love to talk about the glory of God. You guys like to talk about the glory of God? Isn't that really what everything's shooting for? chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So as you're glorifying God, what are you doing? You're enjoying Him. Yeah. So we we have to like that. Moses had a longing, a deep longing for God and he expressed his desire to have a closer communion, some kind of a tangible experience with God. He wanted to see His glory. So Moses asked to see His glory, I want to see Your presence. I want to see You. I want to see Your very presence. See, it's all about presence in this. That means the fullness of joy. Matter of fact, in John 17, Jesus prayed for not only apostles, but for the whole church, even us, that we would be able to see His glory. That's the great intercessor. You guys can't wait, right? To see that ultimate glory. And that will be for eternity. So he wants this visible manifestation. Not only does he want to see his nature, but he wants to see something visible. And I think even up to this time, he's had some intimate time with God. 
he received the Ten Commandments. God spoke to him in the burning bush way back uh, as this all began. And you think about what is it that he saw? Well, we don't know exactly what he saw. He saw something, but he wanted, a, a, I guess you could say, more of a, an experience, some kind of a face-to-face experience with God. Uh, even though he had had something already, it's not that he had seen his face, but he spoke to God and God spoke to him just as audibly as we are right now in this sense. And uh, there was, uh, you know, he felt his presence there. But anyway, he wants a real glimpse of the glory of God. Why does he ask this at this time? I think uh, John Piper gives a pretty interesting suggestion. It's worth worthy of thinking about, I think. I think it can be helpful. And he says it like this, Moses knew that his request for God's presence with a stiff-necked people would never succeed if it were based on any qualification that they had to meet or he had to meet. Now, if you were to go back or go to chapter 34, verse 9, see, he, whenever he intercedes for the people, uh, he puts himself in the prayer. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. So he includes himself with the people, even though he didn't do the idolatry that they did, he still recognizes that he is a sinner too. Uh, You'll see that all throughout Scripture. Daniel and his great prayer, as great as a man as Daniel was, still included his people in with them. So as we pray for this nation, we have to also realize that we have sin too. But anyway, Piper went on to say, so for Moses to have assurance that God would actually be this gracious to Israel. God, are you saying you're you're going to, to do this? He has to see some kind of basis in God and not in himself or the people for he knows that they and he are sinful. You know, to go with them and have the presence that he's going to have, he needs to see he needs to see a glimpse into the very nature of God of how he can do that. Even though he has pled for that. He knew God was an all-glorious God, right? He knew he knew that. But was this glory of such a nature that it would encourage Moses to believe God that God would actually be gracious to the stiff-necked people. God said He was going to judge them, and then Moses pleads, and then He says, okay, then He will let them go. Uh, then He says, but He won't go with them. Then Moses pleads again, and God says, okay, my presence will be with you. And Moses is like, what? I, I asked for this, but... oh." Show me your glory here. Let me have a glimpse into your divine nature. Let me see what this is all about. Let me see the meaning of your great name. Let me see what that means. Show me this foundation of this amazing promise that you're given. What is this based on? This is unlike any man. Man would have destroyed Israel. Anybody would have done that. The gods would have done that. The gods of Egypt. Give me some assurance that... 
indeed, you're going to grant this saving presence to this stiff-necked people. And here's where grace comes in. You see, we need to understand grace. Folks, we need to learn about grace every day because it's against our nature to understand grace. We always try to make our performance be so good that we can hand it to God and now He's pleased with us. And folks, if you're counting on any of that, you are in the wrong place because it is His performance. It's His grace, isn't it? It's always His grace. We are trying to be performance-oriented. That's our nature. And our nature bucks against how God operates. And that's why he's, God's going to say what He says here. Glory, a really quick note on glory. Glory, in this context, in the Hebrew, means weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. Weighty. God is weighty uh, in His essence, meaning all of His attributes are summed up. He is weighty. Take all of His attributes. His mercy, His love, His grace, His justice, righteousness, His goodness. All of those things. Omnipresence, omnipotence. Right? All that sovereignty... Add them all up. That's His glory in its ultimate reality. Now, this is His glory. That's His glory. This is what it's all about. That's what He's made up of. He is glory in Himself. Can't wait to see it, right? We're always looking for the next next cool thing or next neat thing that comes along. This is where everything is going. This is what it's about. Now, let's look at how God responds. Then God said, then He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's a loadful. This is His glory. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. That's where we're going to start. The goodness of God. I'm going to have my goodness pass before you. In, in the Hebrew, I think the word is tub, T-O-O-B in English. It, it means well-being. My well-being, my very goodness. Uh, there's one thing that these people need to learn. They need to learn how good God is. God is a good God. You can say, I know that. I've always heard that, right? I mean, that's an automatic. But think about it. Remember what they did against God. God is still a good God. Even though they did what they did. It's like God is saying, do you really want to know what I'm really like, Moses? I'm a really good God. Because Jesus said there is no one good but the Father. No man is good. We have never really seen a good man. Yeah, there are good people in the Lord. In the Lord, right? In Christ. But He is the one who is really good. The goodness that comes from Him. This is totally contradictory 
with the people of the age at that time. And you think of all the different gods that all the nations had, Canaanites and the Egyptians and on and on and on, and their gods were not good. I think of of the day, what's one of the biggest gods that's going around? When you think of the religion of the Muslims, Allah is supposed to be a god. No such thing. But in their own minds, they have made up a god that's so offensive to God. But that god is not a god of love. He is not a god that is good in the sense that this one true God is. And it's all based upon what you do. The gods of mythology, they would bring sudden judgment on people if they disobeyed. God is good beyond any imagination. What a good God. You know, I think there's probably a lot of times in our lives when we wouldn't say it outwardly and we wouldn't even want to really try to think it. But I think there's sometimes we might question the goodness of God. Is it a possibility that when things are really rough and tough, turbulent times that we go through, all the tests, the terrible trials, the temptations, and we think sometimes that God just doesn't seem to care about this one. God has abandoned me. God has abandoned us. Would we ever think that? I think theologically, no. But sometimes way back in the recesses, we can kind of forget about His goodness. And um, we have broken hearts in this world. But, you know, we have to remind ourselves of the obvious thing. Sometimes the most obvious things about God. Is God good? Yes. We have to be reminded that God is good. How quick we forget. That's why we always have to preach grace in our messages. We, I mean, have you ever recalled a time that we haven't mentioned something about grace when we meet together? I mean, it plays such a key role here. And so this, this goodness of God, it reminds us of who He is. It's a great attribute. And He says, Moses, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. It doesn't say, I'm going to have all my glory pass before you. I'm going to have my goodness pass before you. Remember what they just did. And then remember how Moses has pled and interceded here. And then he says this. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll proclaim. Proclaim means to preach. This is his glory right here. He's going to preach the name of the Lord. As the goodness goes before you, I'm going to preach the name of the Lord. This is the glory of God. It's His goodness. It's His name. The name of the Lord. The name of the self-existent one. The name of Jehovah. The name of Yahweh. Moses asks to see His glory and God proclaims to him His name. I'll preach to you my name. I'm going to preach to you, Moses, my name. I'm going to preach my name to you. What's the name? Well, it's what God is about. It's what everything is 
in him. This is my name. One of them in particular that he's leading up to here. But the names of God are really the manifestations of his glory. Have you ever looked through scripture or read any books about the names of God? You know, he starts off with, in the beginning, God created. Then, uh, when you get into uh, the second chapter, you start seeing Yahweh, the uh, capital letters, L-O-R-D. And then later we see um, names of God such as Jehovah Shalom, which is God is our peace, or Jehovah Nisi, God is our banner. Or how about uh, the Lord who provides, right? You just go on and on and He keeps exposing more and who, who He is and that's about His glory. So when you see the names of God, you're learning about Him and how glorious He is. Go back to chapter 3 of Exodus. This is really easy to turn to. Same book. Exodus 3 and in verse 14, you have a meeting at the burning bush. And Moses asked a question. Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, well, what's his name? What's his name? What shall I say to them? What am I going to say? You know, yeah, I want to go right up to them and say, well, who, who is he? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's like saying Yahweh. That's saying Jehovah. I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I'm the self-existent one. I am the one who is. I am the one who will be. I am the one always. <laughs> I am. That's my name. I am. There's, there's your Yahweh. The name is Yahweh, which God used with Moses before. Right, right back there in Exodus 3.14. That was emphasizing the existence of God. That's a self-existence. That's the existence of God. Now you take the, that name here and then Moses says, show me your glory. And he says, okay, I'm going I'm to preach the name of the Lord. This time, you know, okay, if, if he was back in chapter 3 and he's talking about the existence of God, he's showing that he is what he is, right? I am what I am. Nothing outside of Himself is going to determine anything. That means God determines it all. I am. He's the self-existent one. That's a, that's a huge name. <laughs> now, verse 19 in our section here in chapter 33, we see the existent God in chapter 3. and 33, we see Yahweh in action. Action is the emphasis here. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. I'm going to preach the name of the Lord. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And that's what he's leading into here. He's talking about um, not only proclaiming. He does things without any outside determination. Do we understand that? Nothing coaxes him outside of himself. He does what he wants. Now, the, the doctrine of unconditional election is rooted in the very nature of God. His very name. 
His very innermost glory is this. Look at this next one. Uh, This is the name. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Whomever I want to put grace on, I will do. Whoever I want to put mercy on, I will do that. I will be gracious. I I have to put that in capital letters. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. If God were not free in the grace He gives, He would not be God. This is His name. John Piper goes on to say this. The name is, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. His sovereign freedom. Catch this. His sovereign freedom, freedom, this is, this, this is absolute free will here, is His glory. You see, we're told today that we have free will. And I always start thinking, how free am I? Did I choose to, to be the person that I am as far as where I was born, who I was going to be born to, and the parents, the location, you go on and on, all the situations. Was, did, I, did I choose any of that? And you go and see all the things where you have landed on in life and the jobs that you had. Well, you might have chosen some jobs, but the thing is, how did you get there to that position? And why did they accept you in there? God is interweaving this little micro plan He has for each individual person. It's not accident where you're at. God is growing you. He's using those situations. God is free to do that. All at the same time, we're operating our own will in this, but we're desiring to do it because it's God's will. So if we really would take into note what sovereign freedom is, it gives us a huge view of this great God. And that's what he's emphasizing here. Moses, if I didn't want to do this, I wouldn't be doing it. If I didn't want to show you my glory, if I didn't want to be gracious to those people, I wouldn't do it. But I'm going to be gracious to them. Is is this grace? What is grace? Something that people don't deserve. Are you guys learning grace? You're learning how to speak with grace, act with grace, to people who don't deserve anything? This is what God is showing Moses right here. You want to know who I am, Moses? I'm gracious. I want you to take note of that. If you want to be like Christ, then you are going to see grace. If we knew God for who He really is, we could almost be a different people, couldn't we? Oh, how full of reverence and meekness and lowliness that we would be. We need to be humble before this great God. We would stand in awe of His absolute sovereign freedom that He has. You see, man's freedom before Christ is he will just continue on in that sin headed right on into hell for eternity. And God in His sovereign freedom lifts you out of that and puts you into His place because He wanted to do that. Stand in awe of this. We shrink, I think we'd shrink in fear 
we'd really see all of that glory. Uh, I think we would rejoice with uh, an unutterable and glorified joy that He has set favor on us. We're just learning this, aren't we? We're, we're just getting a little bit of a different uh, view constantly. Well, what about that sovereign freedom? This is, uh, this is His glory. This is His glory. I will be what? Gracious to whom I'll be gracious. Yahweh is explained with these words. How does He explain His name? He's gracious to whom He wants to be. God revealed His name. Do you see His name here? I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. Have you learned a new name of God? This is at a time that Moses is really wondering. Yeah, you're saying this. You're going to go with us. What basis? How, how can you do this? And Show me your glory. This is just something remarkable. This is not human, is it? God revealed His name. It's the glory of God to have compassion and mercy on people who don't deserve it. And when we understand the depravity of man and how we are inclined to go, and then we see God's compassion and and mercy here, we go, well, that's the glory of God, isn't it? He is gracious with any outside force. We didn't make Him gracious to be to us because we were going to be good, because we were going to choose Him. Oh, there's Dennis down there. Oh my goodness, I'm glad he finally did that. I'm glad that he really made a conscious good decision about me. Now I'll give Him grace. He has to give me grace before I can do that because I want to do my own thing. I don't want God. He's an enemy. The Israelites didn't deserve it. And it, you know, granted, Moses had pled for him, and that being a great picture of Christ, but the very basis of this whole thing is God is gracious to whomever He pleases to be gracious. God is free from any restraints. God's freedom is essential to His name. If He doesn't have the freedom to do what He wants when He wants, then we don't have a God. God is absolute freedom. That is where we see freedom of the will. The doctrine of unconditional election is, is just truly amazing. To show mercy to some and not to others even is the very right and freedom that God possesses. He has that. He said, well, that's not fair. Oh, well, let's go back and ask what fair is. Fair is, is that we all be ditched into hell. That's fair. People don't understand how sinful we really are. And if you want to know a little bit more about how sinful we are, just in case you already know a lot about it, we'll we'll, uh, try to learn more tomorrow night in the Monday night Bible study because that's where we're at. We're in Ephesians 2 verse 1. (laughs) And it's going to deal with uh, our sinfulness, which I'm sure now nobody will come. (laughs) Just kidding. To show mercy to some is an amazing thing because he doesn't have to. This is the mystery of his sovereign will. And I'm going to show you a scripture in a moment that deals with that. But the very basis of God's mercy is not my will. 
This is what Moses is saying. Let me see this glory. I cannot. This is amazing. This is this is too much of a promise. I, they, they don't deserve it. And you're saying yes. Okay. My will is not sovereign. If it is, I'm the king of the universe. I'm king. That's what we like to do. We like to try to sit on the throne, but we're not. We like to be self-determining, don't we? You know what? That's scary. I'm glad things are not done in my will. What a mess this place would be. This sovereign freedom that he has, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. This is We've heard this statement all of our lives. But does it grab you? What He has done for you? Look, if He didn't have sovereign freedom, He would no longer have glory. Show me your glory. And He says, I'll preach My name. I'll be gracious. To whom I be gracious. Turn to Romans 9. Paul quoted this. Now, in our Exodus, in all fairness, that is not necessarily individual salvation there. Although it is of, I think you can see, of a nation and being gracious to Moses and showing what he's going to show. But in Romans 9, there is a quote. Verse 14 through 18. And it's rather overwhelming. Um, this is the Sunum Bonum chapter in all the Bible about the sovereignty of God. There are none that are higher than this. And yet, Paul, who is being inspired, quotes out of our text that we're using today. Now, in just before verse 14, if you look in verse 11, we'll back up here. Talking about Jacob and Esau, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, they haven't done anything, not even born, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, not anything you've done, but of him who calls. Who's it depend on? It's him. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And people are going to automatically ask, because of our fleshly sense, we say, yeah, but that's not fair. Oh, really? Well, Paul goes on to say this. Well, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness of God? Are you, are you saying God is not just? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, here it is, are you ready? I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy I'll have compassion on whomever I have compassion. He told Moses that. Does God have the right to dispense mercy the way that He wants? So then it is not of Him who wills. It's not our will. It's not our free will. Nor of Him who runs. That's one who works, does efforts. But it is of God who shows mercy. Does that floor you? And then he backs it up with another passage out of Scripture, for this, out of Exodus. For the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up as a leader. I put you there. Now, Pharaoh is not a believer. And he never was. Oh, he believed that God was doing those things, but yet he never trusted in Him as Savior. For this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you. I'm going to show my power. 
and that my name, do you catch that? That my name be declared or proclaimed in all the earth. I put you up there and I put you down because no man is that great. But I can lift anybody up. I can take them down to show my glory. Therefore, He has mercy on whom He wills. And whom He wills, this is the tough one, folks, He hardens. And we, we went through Exodus and, and the plagues. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart, but what's the basis of it all? We look back at the root of it, and it was God who hardened his heart. This is hard stuff. It's not for the weak-minded. And then there's going to be a person that says, but, 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 that, that just can't be. That just can't be. People, everybody has got to have the right to choose God. And he says, you'll say to them, then why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? It said it there. I'm not making this up, am I? Are you ready for more? What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And then, that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom He called, not the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Can you wrap your brain about all that? This is incredible. This is how big God's sovereign will is. Most today will not preach from this text. And if they do, they will skip over this section almost guaranteed. Because it is beyond our explanation. But we have to deal with it. We see it here in Exodus. And then we see Paul quote from these Exodus passages to show how huge God is. One of His name is, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. He was not gracious to Pharaoh. You say, well, he's a bad guy. Well, that's the point. Because everybody is bad. The Israelites were bad. Was it because they were good? No, God answered that. The reason I chose you is not that it was because you were big of number or you were good people. But because I did it on my own pleasure. Not arbitrary, but something that he desired to do for his purpose. Wow. How the church of our day needs to know chapter 33, verse 19 of Exodus. How they need to know about the name and the glory of God. It's the glory of God to be gracious to whomever He pleases apart from anything that we would do or any kind of restraint.
restraint originating outside His own will. Does this make God big? When God elects individuals to be saved, it is His choice. It's not based on our condition, our qualifications that we might have. Or else it's not all His grace. I am who I am. He is Yahweh. There is nothing outside of God that makes Him the way He is. In Romans 9, 14-18, which we just read, <clears throat> shows how God is sovereign in His choosing His people for salvation. And that's the one that has gotten people, maybe even kicking and screaming, into this right kind of theology. Because if they were to read Romans 9 for what it is, it's very hard. But it is so true. Or we can yank it out, tear it out of our Bibles and say, I don't like that. I think it, it just shows how great God is. It's about the nature. <clears throat> All that He does for us is the very nature of God. <clears throat> it's His inmost glory. I'll be gracious. If God were not free in, in the grace that He gives, He would not be God. This is His name. <clears throat> just a, a good one. Acts 13, verse 48. Too much fresh air yesterday. <clears throat> Acts 13, 48 preaching the Gospel. And uh, Paul is preaching it. And in verse 48, it says, Now when the Gentiles heard this, this message, and that now the Gospel is going to the Gentiles too, they were glad, glorified the Word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. You know what John Piper says about this? I like the way he words it here. Luke records for us Paul preaching in the synagogue of Antioch, of Pisidia. Then he interprets for us how we should understand this response to this message. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed, Piper said this. In other words, it's not the belief of the people that determine whether God would ordain them to eternal life. It's just the opposite. It's the prior ordination of God determined who would believe. Faith is a gift of God's grace. And saving grace is given to whomever God wills. Unconditionally. So when it says as many as had been appointed to eternal, <clears throat> to eternal life believed. They believed that because they had already been appointed. I think that was one of the verses that really hit me whenever I read that. We have to go to Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5. And you can see why Paul in Acts said that as we know he later read, wrote Ephesians, and he says this, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Remember Jacob and Esau? Long before they were born, He chose one He was going to use. That we should be holy, without blame, before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. 
Wow. All his choices are for the sake of the praise of the glory of his grace. Now let's go back to our Exodus. What a great God. Are you getting a sense of God's glory? The Scripture just opened them up, don't they? He's incomprehensible. But He said, You cannot see My face, for no man shall see Me. And what? This has always been interesting. This is another part of His glory. I'm going to show His glory. But part of His glory is that you can't see it fully. In, a, in the um, most... I guess you can say full of sense. He had not shown his face. So in that sense, no man has seen God. And he said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Moses has been talking to him. God dwells in an, in an unapproachable light. Then. And we're going to see Jesus face to face. Right? First John. And that's true. We will see Him. Just like I'm looking at you guys right now. You're looking at me. We will see Him. He is the greatest manifestation of who God is. But still yet, we will not see that ultimate glory of God. We'll see as much as it can. The ultimate is in the sense of Jesus Christ. But let's look at some passages that really are very interesting. And that backs up kind of what we're saying here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 8. We'll go through these quickly. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve said there, they shall see God. Thirteen twelve says... For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. John 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. But then you go to verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. That's the best way we can see the Father is through the Son. That's the only way. John 17, 20-22. Look at this. Incredible. And the glory which You gave Me, Jesus speaking to the Father, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and You in them, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that You have sent Me and have loved them just as You have loved Me. Father, I desire that they also whom You gave Me may be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which You have given Me. For You loved Me before the foundation of the world. Through Jesus Christ, we see God. He's the ultimate revelation of God. We close out today, back in Exodus, the verse 21. Let's see what the rest of this is. After God says, you cannot see my face. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses was to be sheltered from the dazzling light and blazing fire 
that would devour people of God's ultimate glory. If we saw God for all that He is, we would not exist. It's in the clefts of the rock that we're secured from the wrath of God. You know who the cleft of the rock is? You know who the solid rock is? You know that old rock? Jesus Christ. That's where God protects us. Otherwise, we'd be consumed. God will protect those who are in the rock. In Christ. It's only through Christ that we have the knowledge of the glory of God. That's how we come to know that glory. The backside of the glory, Moses saw that. Just a glimpse of that's incredible, isn't it? Well, we see through a glass darkly. Through a glass dimly right now, don't we? We see it, but not very clear. It's like a looking glass. It's all smeared up and has oil on it and everything. And it looks real dark. You can barely see an image there, but it's there. That's what we have today. One of these days we will see clearly the glory of God. The best know, but in part today. Only in part. He was only able to see the back parts, but when he was a witness at the transfiguration, he saw Jesus' face shine as the sun shone. Moses and Elijah, there with Jesus, but Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that was a glimpse of God's glory right there. We look to that. God is manifesting His presence today through the preaching of the Word of God. This is the best way that you can get a glimpse of God's glory. The answer to our guilt, the answer to our insecurity that every one of us have, I'm finding that out more and more. Nobody feels really good, really great about themselves when they really start looking. And you will have that guilt. But you know what? The answer to that is the presence of God. And realize He's there. Grace. We need to know how bad we are so that we can see how gracious God is. God is good. We embrace the gospel. The good news of God's glorious grace. Because we in ourselves fall short of His glory every day. But embrace Him, run to Him, realize that that grace is what we need. Thank You, Lord, for Your mercy. Thank You for showing us a glimpse of Your glory so that we can glorify You. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. A precious day it is. A special day. A a day that uh, we... It says in your passage in Proverbs that uh, godly women who fear you will be praised. Well, we, we praise them in the sense not that we praise you, but we're thankful for them. Uh, we think highly of them. Thank you for putting them in our midst that we would never ever take that for granted. And uh, Lord, for this glorious passage that you have given, May it truly honor You as we have thought about it and studied it that we've seen a little more glimpse of Your glory today than we haven't thought about before. And that it would glorify You. It all comes from You. The preaching of Your Word. Your Word. Your Word. You speak to us. This is how You do it. Thank You, Lord. And may we go out honoring You today. In Jesus' name, Amen.